Good evening. We are live, but not live as in I'm recording this live exclusively for the post-millennial day four summary analysis of the contempt of Congress trial of Stephen K. Bannon. For those of you who don't know who I am, David Freiheit, a Montreal litigator turned YouTuber, Rumbler, content creator at vivabarneslaw.locals.com, right over there. I have been doing uh, these daily summaries, analyses, exclusive for the post-millennial um, since the start of this trial. I have been following this trial, this legal saga, since the first day of this trial when Steve Bannon was subpoenaed, indicted, allegedly failed to comply with the subpoena, uh, and then ultimately standing trial for contempt of Congress. Day one, jury selection. Day two, we had some arguments, motions in limine, as relates to the admissibility of certain evidence, that being correspondence between the January 6th committee and Stephen Bannon's attorneys. Uh, ultimately, those documents were admitted as evidence, and then we proceeded to trial. Prosecution starts, as prosecution typically starts in these types of trials, the prosecution closed its case after two witnesses. Those two witnesses were one Kimberly Amberling, or Amberling, Kimberly Amberling, the general counsel for the January 6th committee, and one Stephen Hart, an FBI investigator who looked into the contempt of Congress charges and determined that an indictment was warranted. Then the prosecution closed its case. Now, I've already covered the testimony, uh, the interesting parts of it in prior episodes. Bottom line, the prosecution called all of two witnesses and then closed its case after those two witnesses. Then it became uh, time for the defense. What was the defense going to do? We pondered this question after the third day, saying, is Steve Bannon going to testify in his own trial? I thought it would be too dangerous. I thought it would be a bad idea. I have been accused of being a little bit too uh, pacific, I guess, as the word, as an attorney, where I would not have advised Steve Bannon to testify if he were my client, and I might have deterred him from doing so if he insisted on doing it. Bottom line, the defense uh, has not called Steve Bannon, will not call any witnesses, and will just rely on the fact that the prosecution did not prove its case. In fact, the defense is, I won't say confident that the prosecution did not prove its case, but they ultimately decided not to call any witnesses. And they uh, have uh, raised several arguments before the judges to why they have decided to do this. Um, because today, day four, there was no jury present. The jury, in fact, was notified early on in the day. You can go into your waiting room and stay there. We're probably not going to need you today. Because the defense is not presenting any counter evidence. They are going to rely on the fact that the prosecution did not prove their case so much so that the defense presented, I may be getting the terms wrong, but the essence is there. They, provide, they, they, they filed two motions to dismiss. One might be called a motion to acquit, as if to say they didn't even present any elements that could be susceptible of condemnation. So acquit Steve Bannon as is. The other is what is known as a Rule 29 motion to dismiss, as in they did not meet the burden of the proof and no reasonable jury could come to a conviction, therefore dismiss the case on a motion to dismiss from the defense. 
The judge, from my understanding, and I have picked the brain of one John Hoggy, who is a journalist working for the Epoch Times, who has been doing some of the greatest live tweeting of this trial. I picked his brain during a live stream on my YouTube channel, Viva Fry, and my Rumble channel, Viva Fry Today. One of the motions to dismiss, as in the motion to acquit, was dismissed. The judge says, no, we're not acquitting Steve Bannon uh, for any lack of evidentiary reasons. That motion to dismiss or motion to acquit is itself dismissed. The second motion to dismiss, which is based on no reasonable jury being able to come to a conviction based on the evidence presented, the judge took under deliberation or at the very least said, I'm not going to render a decision on this motion to dismiss now because I don't want to influence the jury, which in most people's logical thinking brains means the judge is not going to dismiss the case on this Rule 29 motion to dismiss, because if the judge were going to dismiss the case, influencing the jury becomes academic, becomes moot. So it seems quite clear that the judge is not going to grant this Rule 29 motion to dismiss, but doesn't, in refusing that motion to dismiss, want to induce or lead the jury to believe that Bannon is guilty, thus influencing the jury to come to a conviction, which between you, me, and the world... I don't think the jury needs that type of inducement or that encouragement. I think by the sounds of it, this is something of a fait accompli uh, just by virtue of the evidence that was submitted. The nature of politics being what it is, who gets acquitted in D.C., Michael Sussman, despite all incontrovertible evidence to the contrary, and who gets convicted in D.C., pretty much everybody else on the other side of the aisle, that being pretty much each and every one of the January 6th defendants. So they were arguing these motions to dismiss all day today. Judge says, not rendering a decision today. I will render a decision on the second Rule 29 motion to dismiss only after the jury verdict. And closing arguments are scheduled to commence tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning. That's where it's at. One very interesting development of the day is that apparently all of the testimony of the FBI agent investigator guy, Stephen Hart, All of his testimony has been struck and the judge apparently in the jury instructions is going to advise them not to consider the testimony of the FBI investigator, Stephen Hart. Why is this relevant? Well, okay, let's remember the the essence of the testimony of um, Amerling and Hart, Amerling being the general counsel of the committee, Hart being the FBI investigator. Amerling got up there, testified about the formation of the committee. Uh, the authority that it had, the subpoenas. There was some debate during today's motions as to whether or not uh, Benny Thompson, the chair of the committee, was the individual who signed the subpoenas. Apparently, the defense argued that Amerling was equivocal, meaning uncertain or not giving a definitive answer when asked, did Benny Thompson sign these subpoenas? The idea being that if it wasn't the chair of the committee who signed the subpoena, it's an invalid subpoena, so a technical defense. There's an old expression in the practice of law to the effect that procedure is supposed to be the servant of the law and not its master. It's a beautiful expression because it means there is procedure, but people are not supposed to suffer injustices because of procedure, because ultimately procedure is the servant of the law and not the master of the law. In this particular case, however, if procedure was not followed as relates to the issuance of that subpoena, well, then it becomes something very prejudicial for Steve, Stephen Bannon in that 
if they didn't follow the procedure on the issuance of that subpoena and now they want to potentially lock up Bannon for not complying with that subpoena, this would be one of those cases where if you want to invoke the harshest penalties for not complying with procedure, you better make sure that you've complied with procedure yourself. My understanding of the entire case, Benny Thompson signed off on the subpoenas. If he didn't, be a very, very interesting uh, fact that might have escaped most people. And if it is, in fact, Amerling or some other clerk who signed off on the subpoena, thus invalidating the subpoena or not making it a, a compelling subpoena, that would be interesting. My understanding is that it's Benny Thompson who signed off on it regardless. So, you know, the subpoena was lawfully issued from the unselect committee, according to Donald Trump. We're going to get there. But the bottom line the FBI agent's testimony or the FBI investigator's testimony has been struck, which in theory means that all of the exhibits that were filed with his testimony will also be struck. So while Amerling testified to the legitimacy of the committee, uh, the, 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 the horrors of the events of January 6th and the binding nature of the subpoena, it was the FBI investigator who testified to certain social media posts, certain articles in Rolling Stone evidencing evidencing in theory that Bannon did not comply with the subpoena, not because he thought he benefited from executive privilege and was making the accommodations, but because he was thumbing his nose at the authority of the committee in apparently in some getter posts from Steve Bannon. Uh, he was effectively saying, I will never comply. Not that I do not have to, because I benefit from executive privilege, not we're negotiating to see how I can comply. Apparently, these getter posts that the FBI investigator brought into evidence through his testimony were posts in which Bannon was saying, I will never comply, which could be, you know, relevant in proving the mens rea, the, the, the intent to commit the actus reus, the criminal act of contempt of Congress failing to respect uh, a congressional subpoena. So if Hart's testimony is tossed, as are the exhibits, those elements, those pieces of evidence, although they're not evidence now, are not to be considered by the jury. The only practical problem is the jury's already heard it. So try to scrub that from the brains of the jury members. Good luck. Jury instructions can tell them, do not consider those posts on social media that Hart brought into testimony or brought into evidence through his testimony. Don't consider them. But you've heard them. You've processed them. You've made some brain connections about them. It's going to be impossible to forget it and very difficult not to consider it. But we'll see. Jury instructions are going to come tomorrow as well. So we'll see what the jury instructions are. But that was the very interesting development, tossing the testimony of Hart. And I don't exactly know why it happened. I just know that it did happen. But when I talk about the unselect committee that is this January 6th committee and a piece of evidence that was actually allowed into evidence, a letter from one Donald John Trump uh, waving the privilege that had been bestowed to Steve Bannon. This document that we're looking at right now, it is a July 9 letter from Donald Trump. July 9, 2022. We had talked about this earlier in that recently, July 9th, uh, Donald Trump wrote a letter confirming that he was waiving, lifting, abandoning any executive privilege that Steve Bannon benefited from, which would have precluded him from testifying. This letter is a uh, 4D level chess troll. This is phenomenal. You could love Trump or you can hate Trump. And I suspect if you love Trump or hate Trump, you hate him or love him for the same reasons because he does things like this. 
So this was a letter published recently and now allowed as evidence into the trial the extent to which Steve Bannon will be able to plead executive privilege or the the idea that he thought he benefited from executive privilege to be determined in closing arguments. We'll see what the judge allows and what the judge doesn't allow. Let's just walk through this letter because it's a thing of beauty. Donald J. Trump, July 9, 2022. Dear Steve Bannon, I write about the subpoena that you received in September 2021 from the illegally constituted unselect committee, the same group of people who created the Russia, Russia, Russia scam, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, the Mueller witch hunt, which ended in a no, quote, collusion, end quote, and other fake and never ending yarns and tales. This is not just a needle. This is a needle on steroids. This is... He knows what he's doing when he drafts this. Whether or not it's going to impress or irritate the jury, I'll predict irritate. This is rubbing in the noses of the jury. Of anybody who reads this, you're criticizing the idols of people or the political idols of those who love what's going on. And you're rallying the base of those who think that what's going on is, in fact, the continuation of a politically motivated witch hunt. But at the very least, you know, you may agree or disagree with Trump in some respects. You may love or hate Trump. You can't disagree with the factual elements in this. Set aside the unselect committee, a defense that I don't think Bannon is going to be allowed to raise, whether or not this this committee is itself valid because it met the required threshold of 13 members, five of which were appointed by the GOP. In fact, it's nine members and the two Republicans were nominated, handpicked by Nancy Pelosi herself. Forget about the unselect committee. Russia, Russia, Russia scam. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The, the, no collusion. Uh, they, they couldn't convict, but they couldn't exonerate, as, if that's the, as, as though that's ever the goal of any investigation, the exoneration. In some people's minds, it's guilty until proven innocent, but moving on. When you first received the subpoena to testify and provide documents, I invoked executive privilege. Appreciate people. This is a self-serving statement made by the individual for the benefit of the person he's trying to protect, publishing it for the world to see. You can write this off as a self-serving statement. It's also ostensibly the, the defense of Steve Bannon as it has always been. However, I watched how unfairly you and others have been treated, having to spend vast amounts of money on legal fees and all of the trauma you must be going through for the love of your country and out of respect for the office of the president. This will rally the base and this will piss off unsympathetic jurors. And everybody knows it. It's just a question of whether or not there's going to be one or two. One juror is all you need to say, you know what? There are bigger fish to fry. One of them might be Ray Epps. Um, you know, they're going after Stephen Bannon for contempt of Congress for failing to respect a congressional subpoena, but they're not going after Hunter Biden for any number of other things. I put out a tweet just a few minutes ago. At worst, Stephen Bannon is guilty of contempt of Congress. At best, Hunter Biden is guilty of felonious acquisition of a firearm and felonious disposition, disposal of a firearm. At best. But this is, this is the fish they decide to fry because of politics. Therefore, if you reach an agreement on a time and place for your testimony, got to pause there and highlight the fact that this is a very interesting, also self-serving statement to some extent, because one of Bannon's defenses, or at least part of the argument, was that the House Select Committee, in the back and forth with Bannon's counsel, 
they were talking about dates and times. And in Bannon's mind, he didn't know that these were peremptory delays, that these were delays that had to be met, failing which he would be held in contempt of Congress. He's arguing, as a matter of fact, I thought we were agreeing on dates and that therefore I was not in uh, violation of the subpoena. So it's, a, it's interesting phrasing and I, it's deliberate. And obviously so for anybody with the critical mind. Uh, I will waive executive privilege for you, which allows for you to go in and testify truthfully and, and fairly. This is great. As per the request of the unselect committee of political thugs and hacks who have allowed no due process, no cross-examination, and no real Republican members or witnesses to be present or interviewed, it is a partisan kangaroo court. Why should these evil, sinister, and unpatriotic people be allowed to hurt and destroy the lives of so many and cause such great harm to our country? It has been from the time I came down the escalator at Trump Tower, a political hit job against the overwhelming majority of Americans who support the Constitution and policy of making America great again and putting America first. Good luck in all your future endeavors. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. Um, love him or hate him, that's a thing of beauty. And I think people will love him because that's a thing of beauty. And I think the people who hate him will hate him because that is a thing of beauty. <sighs> Bigger fish to fry. Uh, much more serious crimes out there that are not only not being investigated, arguably being actively covered up. But this is what the House Select Committee on January 6th decides to hold a five-day trial to prosecute Steve Bannon for contempt of Congress after 500-plus days investigating the events of January 6th. And despite all those 500 days of investigation... I don't think they called Ray Epps as a witness for this trial. I don't think they called. I don't think they subpoenaed Ray Epps for the committee. It's clearly politically motivated, whether or not under the strictest letter of the law, Bannon actually committed contempt of Congress if he did not legally benefit from executive privilege or if he did not, as a matter of fact, think that the committee was going to accommodate. Therefore, the deadlines to submit documents and to submit uh, for testimony were not hard deadlines. What Setting all that aside... Even if Stephen Bannon did in fact commit contempt of Congress, the exceedingly rare circumstances under which anyone has been indicted and gone to trial for contempt of Congress should show you that this is not about justice. This is not about importance of the, the alleged crimes. This is about politics and the importance of making examples of people with big platforms who are influential and setting an example for everybody else. If you get too close to Donald Trump, this will happen to you. They will try to ruin your life and the lives of those around you. They did it with Michael Flynn. They did it with Roger Stone. They're trying to do it with Stephen Bannon. So even if technically he did in fact commit the crime of contempt of Congress, that judicial resources would be spent on pursuing this and not other more meaningful crimes and more serious crimes leads you to believe that this is a political witch hunt. This is all about politics. This is all about setting examples, deterring others from speaking up, and trying to silence Stephen Bannon. One thing is clear from his opening monologues before the courthouse. Uh, nothing's going to silence Stephen Bannon. And the risk of these types of political persecutions or these political prosecutions is that uh, you're preaching to the choir on the one hand. But on the other hand, you might be waking some people up and opening some eyes to what is going on. You make a martyr out of someone like Stephen Bannon over something as innocuous, and it is innocuous, 
this contempt of Congress because it didn't interfere with any committee investigations. It didn't derail them. It didn't impact them in any way whatsoever because the very articles that the prosecution sought to admit as evidence were already out there. The posts from Stephen Bannon were already out there. So it was not clear that they were going to get anything new from Stephen Bannon that was not already public. And one way or the other, even if it is contempt of Congress, contempt of a congressional subpoena, nothing Steve Bannon did actually impeded the committee's work in any way, shape or form, which makes this persecution or should I say prosecution all the more abusive. That's where it's at after day four, day five tomorrow, closing arguments, and they should be done from what I understand, relatively early, where we might actually have a verdict tomorrow by the end of the day. If this wraps up by lunch, and if the parties have, I think, 30 minutes each for closing arguments, if this wraps up by lunch, I do anticipate having, I was going to say having a judgment, but I'm going to say having a conviction by the end of the day. Then it's going to be a question of sentence, time served, and the fine. Uh, But I think we're going to have a verdict tomorrow. I think it's going to be a conviction, and I think it's going to be a very quick conviction. Predicated on the fact that closing arguments actually end tomorrow, one way or another, once closing arguments are done, it's going to be quick deliberations and a quick conviction to be determined whether Viva Fry the Oracle is accurate and correct in this prediction. But stay tuned because there will be a day five summary and analysis exclusively for the post-millennial. If you want to see me live stream commentating during the day, Viva Fry on YouTube, Viva Fry on Rumble. And if you want to follow Robert Barnes and myself, we talk about this every Thursday, a Sunday night. Uh, we talk about all the news Sunday night, but we're going to talk about this on our Sunday night weekly stream. You can also follow us at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. But for the time being, day five of the exclusive summary analysis for the post-millennial coming up tomorrow after closing arguments and possibly after a verdict. Everybody out there, enjoy the evening. Peace out, peeps.